Hi everyone, welcome to the first episode of season two in the teacher's point of view. Um, we've got the amazing Zena Zinanos Walker, who's an aspiring head teacher that wants to make a difference to the way that we are preparing our children for the future generation. I mean, it's a great conversation. We talk about how important the softer skills are and why that needs to be embedded into the curriculum and the, and, the, and what needs to change in education as a whole. Um, a great episode. I hope you guys like it. And yeah, please give us a like and a subscribe if you do. Thanks. Hi everyone, welcome to the teacher's point of view. I mean, I'm super excited to have Zena on. She's uh, we've kind of become friends in some respects in the last few weeks, haven't we, Zena? And we, we kind of have a lot of similarities and 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 passion for kind of evolving education and moving it in the right direction. I mean, you've had a pretty pretty incredible year uh, career in teaching, and you're an aspiring head teacher, so you've kind of quite driven in in obviously where you're going in terms of your career. I mean, can you just kind of introduce yourself very quickly and kind of the journey you've been on? Yeah, of course. So um, born and bred in London. Um, I became a teacher five years after I left university, after my dad kind of kept saying to me, you need to be a teacher, you need to be a teacher. Um, and, I, you know, I didn't have a great time at school, but after much persuasion, my dad convinced me. I did the PGCE, became a teacher in 2004. Um, started off my career as a drama teacher in London, stayed there for two years, and then quite quickly moved into middle leadership um, in Milton Keynes so I relocated to Milton Keynes and worked around the Luton, Bedfordshire and Buckinghamshire area um, and then in 2007 I moved up to Leeds and I took on a post for assistant principal I have been a senior leader before that but um, it was my first um, assistant principal post leading behaviour and um, safeguarding and alternative provisions so that was really interesting and now I'm I'm a leadership consultant in a school in Bradford so um still on that journey really oh, that's it Miss London yeah Miss London North London come on <laughs> Yeah, I mean, obviously, you've, you've had quite a remarkable journey. And, and the thing is about um, what you did, you kind of specialised in drama. And I know your kind of story in drama a little bit. I mean, you've, uh, you, you, you're have you quite passionate about the subject and you, you are quite um, for like the relevance of drama within the curriculum. I mean, there's a lot of schools that kind of um, are maybe fizzling it out a little bit because they want to try to catch up on the core subjects. But why do you think it's so important in the 21st century that drama stays relevant within the curriculum? Look, um, I didn't take drama GCSE because when I was at school um, and I chose GCSE drama and English literature, they were in the same kind of block. And I was told there was no way I could do both of them, that I was more than likely going to pass the drama rather than the English lit. Um, And so my parents really pushed and said, no way, you're doing the literature and you can do drama in your own time. Um, But if I be honest with you, if it wasn't for, um, for drama, it wouldn't have given me the confidence um, to speak publicly, to, um, to understand how to communicate with people, to relate to people, to empathise with people. Um, and I could do that through different characters and different um, contexts through drama. And that's why I think subjects like drama are really important. And that creativity that we, um, we have through drama and the performing arts um, subjects is really important. But you're right. And now, unfortunately, league tables come in um and you know people might not see drama as, a, as an important subject but i can assure you that it can change lives it, it really can 
I agree. I mean, I remember being in uh, year nine. It's a shame. I mean, I wish I kind of pursued it a little bit longer. But in year nine, I remember, I, I mean, I never really thought about drama as a subject, but in year nine, I had this drama teacher and she thought I was really good. Right? I don't know why. I mean, I'm not a drama queen or anything, but I promise you. But I mean, I thought, she thought I was really good. And she basically was banging on to me to pick it for GCSEs. And I ended up picking, and then basically there was a, there was an overlap between geography and, and drama. And I ended up going with geography because geography, like she was my former tutor, I had a natural connection with her. So I ended up going with geography. But I really enjoyed drama and, and those confidence skills, those being able to interact with people. I mean, those are things that are so important and relevant in the 21st century. And I genuinely believe that what, what we've got at the moment is a knowledge-based curriculum that doesn't actually give children the, the, the right tools to go on to succeed beyond like life at school. I mean, do you, do you feel like that's kind of obviously you, you work in, in education? I mean, do you, do you find no. sorry, say that again, TJ? Find that. I mean, you work in education. Do you find that? Yeah, no, absolutely. You know, there's there's nothing wrong with with having um, knowledge base in in our curriculum. That's it's it's important. It's of course it is. But if we don't start to look at the characters, um, the character traits that we need to be teaching our young children to have to find their way and to find their place in the world. It's, it's really going to be quite difficult for them. And it's all well and good, you know, leaving school with 12 A starter A's. But if you don't have that character, that resilience, that grit, that, um, that confidence to go out into a world to understand, you know, how to take your next step or what you're going to do or to think about those things. I think we're, we're doing our young people a disservice um, and it's not, not every school is, is not considering these things. There are some schools who really have thought about character education um, and, and seen the importance of that and seen the development and the progress that young people can make in the curriculum, you know, looking at the core subjects through character education is, is being that kind of marrying them together, seeing that that can be really uh, powerful for our young people. Um, and actually, if character education came from you know, if you look at the early years curriculum, how amazing that is, how we allow young people to, you know, our children to um, do things that, they, you know, they're learning things that they want to learn. They drive the things they want to do. Um, and then suddenly they come into, you know, key stage one and, and it's all very rigid. We have to do these particular things. Um, and, and so for me, we've suddenly gone from allowing this creativity and this innovation to happen from, you know, young to coming into schools and it, it not being there. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it, like at a young age, when you, between the age of four and seven, Jesus Christ, you should be playing. You should be like, like having fun and like kind of. I think a jobs, a teacher's job in some respects at that age should be getting them to like in, inspire them to want to learn, opposed to actually just. Like teaching, like the phonics. Do you know what I mean? Jesus Christ, I appreciate it. It's important to learn the core subjects, right? But the kids, I mean, what are you doing trying to test them at five years old? Jesus Christ, leave it alone. Do you know what I mean? And I think, I mean, like you look at Finland's model, they don't have any exams until the age of 17. Like that is when they first have their exam because it's all very much building people and building like adapting the curriculum based on the children and, and i think like some for some children naturally they might be good at exams and, and that's fair enough like i think 15 percent of the people that go through the uk education system like will really benefit from the, the education model that is in the uk but about 85 percent of children will go through school life thinking that they're not good enough and they've got no they've, they've got no chance of succeeding because 
we put so much emphasis on the GCSE and A-levels and going to a top university. But, I mean, there's so many industries out there now that degrees just are completely irrelevant. I mean, I've yeah. seen many times that degrees are so common nowadays. I mean, it's about what makes you stand out. And if you're not going into that interview, showing, like, making eye contact, being firm, being authoritative, showing something about you, you're not going to necessarily get that job. Do you know what I mean? You know, you make a really interesting point because um, uh, this is going back a few months ago. Alistair Stewart and and David Harkin, who's um, the CEO for um, 7 Billion Ideas, they did a session on, you know, what is education, you know, skills versus knowledge-based education. And um, one of the, I think it was a director for IBM, I can't remember, I really apologise, but um, said, you know, we don't even look at the CV. We don't care what university you went to. We don't care what GCSEs you have. It's all about who you are as a person and whether or not you're going to fit into our company. And it was this kind of very similar um, conversations with, you know, the director or the CEO for, for LinkedIn. It was like, oh, you know. And yet we talk and we tell children, you know, if you don't pass your GCSEs, you know, that's it for you. And that's just the wrong conversations we need to be having. And the be all and end all shouldn't be GCSEs and that shouldn't be what education is about. And we shouldn't be, um, you know, testing or no, not testing. We shouldn't be teaching to exams or teaching to tests. And this is one of the, you know, the 10 hopes for education, for change in education. That's part of the big change. Um, where we need to start looking at each and every individual child, building relationships with those children and allowing them to guide their own learning. Um, because we are doing, we said this before, we, we keep doing the same things and expecting different outcomes, but that's never going to happen. Yeah. I mean, uh, like, it's obviously that cliche saying, make a mistake once, it's a mistake, second time you're an idiot. I mean, we're, we're literally led in this country in, by idiots, aren't we? I mean, they keep making the same mistakes again and again and again. I'm not talking about a teacher, sorry, I mean, that came across wrong. I'm talking about politicians and I'm talking about the people at the top of the education food chain. DFE, Jesus Christ, you, DFE, the examining boards they need, and, and teacher unions need to come together, say, look, no more polit- politics within education. We need to actually do something that's going to make a difference to these kids it's all well and good like a couple of schools not a couple but there's quite a lot of schools that are doing really well academically and they're outstanding schools fantastic brilliant but what are you doing for your children i mean this is what education is about you get into teaching because you want to make a difference to these kids you want them to set up them up for life having a piece of paper at the end of your time that you go like in school is not doing that I'm, I'm sorry, it's not. And and like, if someone was to come to me with a job, like for a job, and they had always stars, but they couldn't talk to me, and they had somebody that couldn't, that had no GCSEs or whatsoever, but had something about them. I mean, I'd pick that person without the GCSEs all day long. You know, I mean, I don't think, I, you know, we can't, we can't um, devalue the credentials that young people are getting. You know, certainly, if you if you get 12A stars, that's amazing. That's all credit to you. You've worked really hard. You've done really well. You've, you've, you know, you've got the GCSE results and you've got that piece of paper to say, look how hard I've worked. I, I, you know, I'm really good. But like you say, if you don't have the, those skills to, to, to be able to hold conversations, to be confident, to show that you can present well, um, to look at somebody in the eye when you're talking to them, those, those kinds of things, you know, they don't look great. And I do know plenty of people in adults, you know, as adults who did leave school with fantastic GCSEs, but didn't quite follow their dreams because they didn't know how to, to, to get them. Yeah. Um, 
you know, we, we've spoken lots of times about, you know, career advice and education. Um, you know, when I was at school, it was non-existent. I had somebody who didn't know me asking me what I wanted to do um, when I left school. You know, I have no idea. Um, so there is so much um, that we need to do as as a school, but unfortunately there's other things that the government and the BFE are now presenting to us. And especially now during COVID times, now we've got to provide testing. Now we've got to do this, you know, blended learning, all of these different things will make this a, a lot harder for us, but it's not something that we don't want to do because we recognize how important it is for young people. Um, but certainly, you know, I've, I've kind of got off on a bit of a tangent now, haven't I? Um, going back to, you know, building character and um, resilience and grit and all of these things in our young people, I think certainly has got to be part of the curriculum that we move to moving forward. Yeah. I mean, just kind of touching base on something you said just at the beginning there, right? You said, uh, I mean, like if you've got 12 ex cards, it shows you've worked really hard. But that's not necessarily always the case because I know people that just are suck at exams, but they work really, really hard, but they wouldn't have got those eight, 12 A stars. I mean, does it, because some people are naturally more clever or are very good at memorising information. Yeah. But what about the application of that information? I mean, that's... Yeah, no, and I agree because, you know, we, when I was at school, we were allowed to have a percentage of the exam that was coursework. And honestly, that saved me um, because I didn't have, I wasn't able to revise in a, in a, in a methodological, a logical way, in a chronological way, in any kind of way. I just couldn't do it. Um, and I really struggled to memorise formulas and stuff like that. Now, you have to have formulas and formulae, formulae you know, memorised yeah. in maths. I mean, there's just absolutely no way that is even necessary. And you think about technology today and how we use technology. Why are we not encouraging the use of, of technology? Why are we not making um, exams more project-based to see where these children are going to research, how they're going to conduct certain, um, you know, projects, what they, what outcomes are they going to have and, and you know, um, what avenues they'll take. It's just boggles my mind that we say, you know, you must memorise this you must read um, this book from the uh, 18th century and you, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's true. I mean, what kid is like, listen, if you grew up in East London, right, how are you meant to ex understand Shakespeare? In the nicest way possible, but the, the language... I love Shakespeare. I know, I know you might, I mean, but I'm not talking about those kids that are from like the ones that listen to grime music or the ones that are kind of like, obviously the world has changed so much, but those kids can just about speak proper English, let alone trying to sp speak language that was spoken 200 years ago, you know? Well, it I mean, depends what you mean by proper, I'm going to, I'm going to hold you to account here. It depends what you mean by proper English, because again, language is changing. And so we're talking about our education system changing looking at how things are changing but for young people now on the street not on the street you know in our society surely we should be thinking about well, what is education for is it for you know now or is it for a, a future that we can't even see ourselves you know because we probably won't be alive then right. you know so part of that is what you were saying earlier on about you know building that that character seeing you know um how you can find your place in the world you and i both left school not knowing that we were good enough not feeling that we were good enough yeah. um, and that is so wrong and i can tell you now tj this is not un it's not uh, um, unheard of this is 
yeah. so um, happens so often to um, a lot of people um, who leave school um, feel that they're not they're not good enough for the world, and so that's something that needs to change in itself, isn't it? I mean, absolutely. I mean, you talk about an increase in mental health. I mean, this it all stems from this. Like, this is. I mean, it stems from not feeling good enough, insecure. It feels not not being happy within yourself, or not genuinely not feeling good enough. I mean, I have a nephew that studies eight hours a day over the holidays. I mean, whether he studies fully or not, I mean, but it's that attention span. Yeah, I do. But what I'm trying to say though, he doesn't feel like he's very good. I mean, he's in, in like quite low sets and stuff, but he thinks that he's not going to necessarily be successful. I mean, I've got him to, like, he, he showed me that he's doing prank calling, right? And he's so good on the phone. I mean, he literally was like, like, making people believe all these stories and that. I mean, he's 15 years old. Do you know what I mean? And he's convincing these adults that, oh, he's this person and all of this, right? But why are we not kind of bringing that? Like, he's got a passion for it. Like, I mean, we should be honing in on that skill. But he thinks he sucks at school. And he thinks he's not going to have a, a, a real life. I mean, like, you talk about preparing someone for real life. He thinks he's going to leave school, magically get a degree, magically get a job, and magically buy a house. I mean, yeah, I'm like, yeah, but how are you going to actually do that? I mean, do you know what it takes to buy a house? Do you know how much you need to save up? No, I mean, I'll just get a job. Right. Yeah, and actually, a Akala... Was live on LinkedIn uh, during lockdown. Uh, I love Akala; he's a, he's amazing. But um, he talked about you know he left school with twelve A starter A's. You know, really intelligent guy. But actually, um, he had no idea what rent was, what a mortgage was, what interest rates were, uh, what the FTSE one hundred was. None of these things he understood when he left. And as an adult, you know, as a child moving into adulthood and and into the real world suddenly you're faced with all of these things. And if you have not, um, you don't have that kind of understanding, suddenly things become a lot harder and not having that understanding of things becoming harder and not having the character and the resilience and the understanding of how to find these things out, things get worse. And we've talked about, you know, um, neat young people who are neat, not in education, employment or training. And um, the figures in 2015 of young people who leave school and they are neat by the time they are 19 years old, nearly 20% of those young people die before their 21st birthday. That was in 2015. I don't know what the figures are now. I don't think they've, they've been re-released since then. I can sure as hell believe that they are going to be a lot more. But nearly 20% of young people dying by their 21st birthday, school... For those young people, is a matter of life and death, yeah. and it's that is it you know that is as, as hard as that may sound, as harsh as that may sound, that is the reality for those young people, and so it's not good enough for us to be saying if you don't pass these GCSEs, you're not going to, you know, what are you going to do in your life? I know plenty of people that didn't, and they had the character and the resilience to find their way. And they are now earning a shed load more than I am, you know. Yeah. Um, but again, it comes down to that: what What is education? What What should we be doing at school? Yeah, I mean that's the thing, and I think sometimes that people are under this misconception. And I mean, look, everyone to their own. But my understanding of what a teacher should be is, and it's very easy for me to say because I'm not in the classroom. I'm not doing planning and marketing. And I'm yeah, not be careful what you're about to say here. Yeah. Ultimately, your job as a teacher is not just to pass information onto them and get them ready for exams. 
You know, like a lot of kids, like you said, it's a safe place for them. Like they don't have those role models at home. They don't have those inspirations at home. They don't have that support and love. So when they come to school, those teachers are that for them. And it's, I know it's it's a it's a burden for teachers to bear. And and I know it's it comes it's it's unfair in some respects because it's not your job to be their parent. But in some respects, if you're going to go into education to make a difference to these kids. You're taking on that burden, right? Yeah, yeah, and I think it is. It comes down to the relationships that you build with young people. Look, I, I'm going to be honest. You know, I came from, I came from a household that was, you know, both my parents were still together. They were, you know, they loved me and my brothers and my sister dearly. They supported us. I didn't go a day without food. I was a very, very lucky young person, but I didn't have the confidence. Um, you know, to really, and the belief in myself that I was ever good enough. So, I mean, I, I see what you're saying. Yes, if you don't have that stability at home, things for you are a lot harder and trauma and adverse childhood experiences on young people has a huge impact on their experiences at school and how they learn and the progress they can make. Absolutely. Um, but I think that's for all young people. You know, I think if we consider how we want to be treated, how are we going to treat our young people in our classroom is so important. And all too often, you know, we, we think that discipline has to come down with this hard line. Um, but life isn't about that. You know, when you leave school, if I go to the office or if you go to an office, you know, you're, you're in a different industry and you've forgotten your pen, you're not given a detention for forgetting your pen or you're not disciplined for it. You just, someone just throws over a pen at you. And so are we are we teaching children what the realities are of, of the world? Is the world really like that? Um, and does it teach responsibilities? And what does responsibility look like? And how can we teach that through through our in our classrooms, you know, through having different monitors or giving different um, people different roles to have in, in school, you know? And, and that's the thing. I mean, like I remember when I first left school and I went into a job and I basically I remember this first time I got told off by a boss. And I remember him saying to me, like, like, stop making excuses. I don't care about your excuses. Just get the job done. Do you know what I mean? Whereas in school, like you like don't do your homework, you come up with all these excuses, you get detention, da, 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 right? But it, we're not preparing kids. Like it's not about making excuses, it's just get on with it. Where's that grit? Where's that innovation, that creativity? Be it's okay to fail, make mistakes, but you learn that's, and that, yeah, and that's hard. I think that's probably the hardest thing we need to try and teach young people that it's okay to fail. Um, but is it okay? It's not okay if you're no, I mean no, I'm talking like do we allow that? Is yeah. it okay to fail when, you know, you have people like Ofsted and the DFE and, you know, the wonderful Mr. Williams and prior to him, Mr. Gove and Miss Morgan, you know, saying it's not okay to fail. But we don't give those, it's about those opportunities. We don't have those opportunities to fail and then get back up um, because we're so constrained by you know, different priorities that every school will have according to, you know, what, you know, what school they lead. It's hard. I mean, the thing is, though, I mean, it, like, obviously, children absorb the, the teacher's energy, right? But teachers and school leaders are so afraid to fail because of the pressures put on them by Ofsted and leaderboards. So ultimately, teach, school, just, I mean, it's going to be reflected in the students too, right? Yeah. You think about performance management as well, TJ, you know, there are so many schools where performance management targets are 100% of your students will receive, will get a grade X, you know, four to 
four plus. You know, that's never a guarantee. And that's not how, you know, performance management should be. Um, and where's that development for staff? Where's that time that staff can really consider their own career professional development? How, how you know, where's the time for staff to really um, make sure that their knowledge of their own subject is, is up to date or is where it needs to be? Um, no, sorry, we're going off on all sorts of different... <laughs> also, where is the ability to encourage staff to go out try something different and it'd be okay to fail as long as you try to do something different for your kids that was going to inspire them I mean, you know i have i have worked under some fantastic head teachers who who you know when i first came into, into senior leadership and it's so easy you, you can quite easily get um excited by different projects and you really want to have an impact and and, and i had an amazing um head teacher at the time and she's now a CEO of, of the trust um Kathy Barr and she just said you know um actually it's okay to take a risk and if it fails as long as we can we know why it failed and how it failed and we learn from those mistakes we just keep going and you know that's a really good example of a, a head teacher that's happy to say you know if this fails we can we can try something new um but again, it depends on where, where that school is in their journey. You know, yeah. if you're a, if you're a requires improvement school or you're in special measures, there's no room to make mistakes. We have to get this right. This is how it feels, you know? I mean, ultimately, they're RI or they're special measures. Then Jesus Christ, you've got to try something new. I mean, it can't get any worse, can it? So why aren't teachers who have trained so long, they've, they've trained in the specialism for three years as, as in their undergrad, then they've gone on to get a PGCE, and then they've had their induction yet. Why are we not putting more trust in teachers to do what they do? Like, if we give them the right support, the right level of training, the right level of CPD, the right room for progression, why are we not being able to give our trust to our teachers? That's a, we're, set, we're asking the same question. <laughs> we ask the same question. And so, you know, if you can ever get uh, Mr. Gove or Mr. Williamson um, or Ofsted to do a podcast with you or a webcast with you, and have that conversation with them because, you know, as far as I can see, there's nobody at the moment who's having a real conversation with educators, with head teachers, with senior leaders because, you know, I know Heads Up for Head Teachers have recently did a poll because Michael Gove had come out and said that he had, I've consulted with head teachers and over 1,800, I believe, head teachers had, apply, had replied to this poll and out of all of them, 1%, I think, had said we've been consulted. 1%. And I'd like to know who these head teachers are because, um, you know, what what is it you were consulted on and what was the response that you gave? Because it's it's our voices are not being heard and we are the specialists. We are the people who know what the job entails. So without listening to us or consulting with us, how are you going to move our education system forward? And part of me, if I'll be honest with you, the cynical part of me is I don't think they want to move it forward yeah. because they want this divide in our society. You know, you've got your top 1% of people who are making their money who are happy in their glass houses, not a problem. And the rest of us, well, you know, we'll just keep trying. So I'm getting all political now and I shouldn't do that. This is what you do to me every time we have a chat. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I, Sorry. I mean, 
But that's your passion, isn't it? I mean, and that's the thing, and in the nicest way possible, but teachers across the board, a lot of teachers feel that way. They feel like they're not being consulted, they're not being appreciated, they're not being respected, and they're not being valued as, as professionals within the profession. Just because you've been to a hospital and you've had like an operation on your leg after you've broken a leg, it doesn't mean you can go operate on somebody's leg. Do you know what I mean? Just or that you can explain how to run the NHS. You know, this is, honestly, TJ, head teachers are on their knees. Yeah. They are on their knees right now. They are receiving emails on a Saturday evening at nine o'clock saying, please have a look at this document and give me some feedback by Monday so that we can put this together. We've had how many weeks before Christmas to know how to prepare for the new year? And even now, things are being changed at lastminute.com. It is not okay on the well-being of our leaders, which will then entail have an impact on the well-being of our staff who are already, you know, they're nervous about going back into schools, but they're not saying, no, we're not going in. We want to be in schools. Our schools, yes, they should be open, but they need to be safe. And they're not talking to us and they're not telling us, um, giving us the right time to put things together because guidance is coming out too late and this is how people are going to be losing their lives. It's not okay. Yeah, I agree. And, and absolutely, it needs to change. I mean, it's important that we listen to the teachers. They're on the front line. They're the ones that make a difference. And ultimately, if senior leaders are burnt out, if teachers are burnt out, if they're worried, if they're anxious, what is the quality of education going to be like? You know, and ultimately, that's what is important. It's about kind of making sure we're talking about the future of our economy, the future of the workforce. Well, we need to give them the right tools. We need to we need schools to be prepared. We need like better communication. And ultimately, this all comes down to a breakdown in communication between the actual education, education profession and the people that are making the decisions. There is this big like gap between what is being needed and what is being communicated, you know, and that ultimately, in my opinion, we need to follow the bias to we need a ministry of education full of educators, completely separate entity to politics. And I know this, it, I mean, I spoke to a couple of head teachers saying, listen, why are you bothered? I mean, as long as you work in your school and you're doing the best for your kids, that's all that matters. And it, absolutely rightly so as well, in some respects. But if we're going to move education forward, I mean, every child has got to have access to a good quality education. And yeah. we need to work like, collaboratively to make that happen. And I, 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 I love that idea in that model of every school supporting every school. But because, you know, you've got the introduction of league tables and suddenly it's, it's, it's my school and not your school. It's I'm working on this. Don't get me wrong, you do have cons- school consortiums that do work together. But I tell you what, if both schools needed or every school needed a, a, a really good English teacher or a really good science teacher, it's cutthroat. It's, you know, I need to get that person or the best person in my school. Um, and actually, we, there should be no islands. There should be an open communication of uh, resources, of the best things that we're doing, um, you know, and how we're going to support each other because... Young people are young people and we've come into education because we want to make a difference to young people and we want to make them and support them to be the the best that they can possibly be. So there shouldn't be a competition uh, between schools and whether people like to admit it or not, when it comes down to it, there, there is. Um, and, and, And yet, and yet we, you know, we're in, we're in this together in this whole COVID situation together and we have, you know, we've had head teachers who are supporting one another. There are networks that are out there supporting head teachers to make the right decisions or to just have a, be a soundboard for them. You know, you've got the heads up for head teachers that I've spoken to you about. 
essentially, if we work together, we would have an amazing um, system for our young people. And, and then those young people who can't cope in, 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 in mainstream schools, there's this idea that we're supporting with those young, it's like the community coming together, schools coming together, teachers coming together, everyone working together to provide the best possible um, opportunities for our young people. Yeah, Businesses I, working in schools, you know, it's not, yeah. Well, it's not We've been individualistic way too long. I mean, we we've, we need to be collaborative. And if we're going to move education, it's not okay that one kid gets an outstanding school because of where he's born and a kid down the road from him goes to a requiring improvement or a special measure school just because of location. I mean, they might be from exact same deprived areas or like affluent areas, but because of where he's born in location, and that is just literally down one road, I've seen it sometimes, that he doesn't get the same quality of education. It's absolutely bonkers. It I, think, I think that's really difficult because uh, having I've worked in special measures, required improvement, outstanding schools. I've worked across the board. Um, and, you, you know, there are, and I've worked in, a, in schools where they, they are good schools, but often have come in after a day of inspection or two days of inspection that actually they're required improvement. But I can tell you now, I would send my own children to that school because it's not a required improvement school. So yeah. we've got to be really careful about how, you know, this is how Ofsted are working and what yeah. they're doing in schools and whether or not it's a real true reflection of what's happening in that school. 365 days, days a year, but you know what I mean? Like all year round rather than those two days where anything can happen. And it's the same for kids in exams. You know, you can have a really good kid who, does really well in their mock exams and in every other exam prior to their actual GCC, but they've had a bad day. They've woke up in the morning and things aren't quite right. They're suffering anxiety or they've had to deal with something at home and they don't do as well in that GCC. And that lasts with them for the rest of their life. You know, I'm 43. I'm 42. I never get it right. After the 33s, I forgot. You know, and I still have to write down what I got for my GCSEs. <laughs> is, is it relevant? Are GCSEs the way forward? Are these exams the way we need to be going? I mean, um, I'm not being funny, Zena, but I mean, like if somebody put on their GCSEs that they got all A's, when are you really going to go check? Like, I'm not being funny, right? But I mean, it's, look, GCSEs, I don't think are an indication of who you are as a person if you're going to be right for a job. That's the bottom line. I, I don't think that. And I think, like, what, like what, I'd, cut, be, I'd be interested to know where you think Ofsted kind of stands and what part you actually think it needs to play within the education system. I think, Ofsted came in as the support that schools need. It's, you know, okay, you've now told us we're required improvement. What is it you're going to do to support us to get to that good you expect us to do? To come in, um, you know, once or twice, doing a few monitoring visits and saying, yep, yep, you're doing well, isn't good enough. Actually, we need to be working together um, because I'm not saying that there's no... um, you know, there's no place for Ofsted. Certainly there is. But, you know, the pressure that's put on schools to do things in the way that Ofsted expects us to do things, therefore, you know, why... If I'm a senior leader, okay, and I'm really concerned about what Ofsted think about, then I'm more likely to do things for Ofsted and to make sure that, I'm getting that outstanding or that good, okay? But actually, that's not what we should be concerning ourselves with. We need to concern ourselves with what's right for children 
because Ofsted don't always get things right. And so their framework isn't always the right framework. And their framework changes so much that we have to then change things. We're not given enough time to do things for it to have the real impact it needs because things either at the DFB or Ofsted are changing. So what is it we're doing? Are we doing Every Child Matters? Are we doing um, SMSE? Are we, you know, what are we doing? What is our focus going to be on? And can we make sure, and this is again with, with politicians who come in and change every few months, they come in with their own agenda. They're not really thinking about what's right for children. And I'm, yep. not, saying, I'm not suggesting that officers don't care about what's right for children. All I'm saying is, is that they need to consider what their framework looks like, you know, and how they're measuring against that framework and look into the context of each and every individual school because we're all different. We are all different. Absolutely. And that's the thing. And this is what I think sometimes the framework of Ofsted and leaderboards do is it kills individuality. And 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 again, this goes straight back to children. If we're going to just go beat around, the, forget beating around the bush, go straight to it. We need to be creating individuality in these children. But how are we going to do that if we are generalizing education? You know, and, and it's so important that we kind of make sure that Ofsted go into a school as a, f- a supportive friend, say, forget judgments. I don't, I don't agree with RI's special measures outstanding good because every single school should be good, right? So what they should be doing is going in and saying, look, this is what you need to do to improve. This is what the school down the road is doing that is actually performing really well. And this will bring somebody in, like a lead practitioner or somebody that's in that department, come in and spend three months with you. And they're going to help you move this department forward or this school forward in a particular way what we'll do is we'll come check in in those at the end of those three months to make sure you're making the right amount of progress yeah. Boom. that is going to be yeah I, I that i absolutely agree with you i can't i can't disagree with that at all i think that's a, that's a, a brilliant way forward um whether or not that happens this is the opportunity exactly. during covid it should have been the opportunity um but i, I have to say just a quick shout out to big picture learning um and uh Colin Joffin, who is the director of Big Picture Learning in, in the UK, I'd love to have a chat with him. You know, their whole curriculum is led by by children, led by by, by young people, and it's it's phenomenal. Um, so if you ever get a chance to, to look at what they do, I would absolutely say go for it. Because there are there is another way. There is another way, yeah. and we yeah. have to consider what those other ways are. Yeah. Um, and and be able to have that time to, to experience them and explore them. Exactly. I mean, just to finish off, I mean, if we could pick, if you could pinpoint one thing that you would like to see change in education by the end of 2021, what would it be for you personally? It has to be the curriculum and it has to be um, making sure that our curriculum is decolonised. We need to have representation of all of our children in our curriculum, making sure that we're looking at the nine protected characteristics within our curriculum, that it's not um, not the way it is right now. I don't think it encourages exploration. I don't think it encourages um, creativity enough. And I think that we need to think about how our young people are going to see themselves in the curriculum that they're learning. Um, yeah. If I'd be honest, that's, that's one of the very, very many things I would love to do. Absolutely. And just to kind of read out something Phil Sharrick said, right? And I think it's so important. Um, I'm just hoping that I can quickly find it. Uh, 
Uh, well, I mean, I can't, I can't find. It. Oh, there you go. So he goes. Just a thought: the school system completely squashes creative, free thinkers. Some teachers have no idea how much power their words and actions hold throughout a kid's life. Individuality should be encouraged and praised always. I mean, it's so powerful. I mean, this guy's had. Yeah. 199 likes and I don't know, in three days I mean I don't know if, you, if anyone is, like, knows about LinkedIn but to get 199 likes on a post is, is, is insane but clearly each profession I do feel that I mean I speak to yeah. education all they say is knowledge based curriculums need to change I mean some are uneducated not uneducated but they don't have an opinion on it yet and it's like you're a head teacher and you don't have an opinion on a knowledge based curriculum but soft skills what are you doing in the 21st century as a head teacher I think it's, it's it's really easy, but again, if you think about the, the, the constraints that we have within our curriculum, the league tables that we're constantly considering, well, not all, not all people are considering, and I think that's the right way to go. Um, Ofsted, we've got all sorts of different constraints. I just think it's it comes down to us not being able to see another way sometimes. Wanting that other way and being able to have the freedom to do the other way is are two very different things. And I would agree that the impact that we have on our young people is really, really important. And the things that we say to them, like he says, will have an impact. I still remember some of the not very nice things teachers said to me when I was younger. And just, the impact that had on me as a child um, into my adulthood are profound. So, um, you know, and I'm going to do a last shout out to um, L30 Relational Systems because the things that they're doing are phenomenal. Love the idea of, um, repairing relationships with young people and having um, a more restorative and relational approach to behaviour is, is really key and vital now. I think if we continue to have things like food in, in isolation rooms um, and if we continue to just think about sanctions rather than prevention of these uh, yeah. behaviours that we don't want to see, we're just going to be, um, you know, continuing to be part of the problem that's rising the mental health issues in our in our young people. So absolutely, we could do this for hours, couldn't we? I mean, we could. I mean, we'll leave it there. And just as a final question, I think if anybody is still listening, hopefully they are. I mean, just to kind of, if you're in education, you're a teacher, please, please, and especially head teachers that aren't thinking about soft skills, please ask yourself, why did you get into education? And the answer should be along the lines of, you want to make a difference to kids. Please understand, through a knowledge-based curriculum, you are not making a difference to kids' lives post-school for 85% of the students that go to your school. We need to make a difference and prepare kids better. And ultimately, this is what this podcast is all about. So thank you massively, Zena, for coming on. And thank you, everyone, for watching as usual. And obviously, we'll see you in the next episode. But thanks, Zena. Really appreciate it. Take care, love. Take care. Thanks, everyone, for watching. Thanks, Zena, for coming on and sharing your views and your opinions. Everyone, if you did like it, please give us a like, give us a uh, subscribe. I mean, we've got loads more coming this, this year. So please, please follow us. I know it's going to be a tough year for everyone in terms of, obviously, COVID and kind of seeing the kids through. So I'm hoping that this podcast is going to support us and, and help us all get through it together. Uh, take care and see you on the next episode. Thanks.